have your Bibles, turn with me this morning, whether in a print or a digital form, to Isaiah chapter 9 this morning. Isaiah chapter 9. And uh, we will be taking a look at a passage of Scripture in the Old Testament this morning and what it tells us about Jesus today. And I just want to take a quick moment and welcome those of you who may be uh, not just in this room, but maybe you're watching by way of the internet, you're one of our other venues, or you are uh, watching by television. Just want to say thanks and uh, welcome for joining us this morning. And uh, we talk about peace an awful lot at Christmas time. I think probably more than any other time of year, we, we reflect on this idea of peace. Not just in the headlines, the absence of peace, but what does it mean and in light of what Scripture says about having peace on earth? But the truth is, if you've turned on your television or if you have read any news online in the last few days, probably much of what you've seen has not been much that looks peaceful. In fact, here's just a few images that we'll put on the screens this morning to talk about this. The racial tension in our country right now is in many ways unprecedented in our lifetime. Wouldn't you agree? And we see this. We also hear about things like ISIS in the Middle East and the tension that comes with that. Questions about our relationship with nations like Cuba. The devastating effects of disease like Ebola. And then when we look at world leaders in Russia or in North Korea and the challenges that brings to us, that causes us to say, where is peace on earth? And then ongoing conflict with nations like Iran. And, and I don't have to show you many more pictures for you to say, where is the peace on earth? Because we talk about peace, but we live in a world that doesn't experience much of it. Would you agree? I mean, it's just not there in the headlines. What do we do with this concept of peace? There's this Hebrew word, and, and maybe you've heard it, because it's used in a lot of different contexts. It's the word shalom. And I want, I want to give you a, a definition for this word today. Because oftentimes when we hear this Hebrew word shalom, we think of the idea of peace. But if we look at it, it, it takes on a connotation that's much bigger than that. Here's a definition. The word shalom is a Hebrew word meaning peace, completeness, prosperity, or welfare. In the sense of a general well-being. So it's, it's more than just an absence of conflict. It's more than just, oh, that, that appears to be peaceful. It has to do with the sense of completeness. That I have everything that I need, this prosperity, this well-being, this general idea of having a sense of wholeness is wrapped up in this term, shalom. In, in so many senses, it was a key word in everything that we read about in the Old Testament, as well as in the biblical idea of, of what God brings to us when we're in right relationship with him. This idea of shalom was a designation for prosperity in the Old Testament times. It had the context of social relationships, that if I was in peace with you in our relationship, it was this idea of shalom. It applied to nations as well, that if nations shared peace and, and, and an idea of grace with each other, then it was at a, at a state that they would call shalom. And it was largely a spiritual term. When you go through the Old Testament, the relationship that we're to have when we are in right communion with God, it brings us to this place of wholeness and prosperity and peace, this state that the Old Testament would refer to as shalom. Now, when we read the, the Old Testament, one of the designations that is given to Jesus is that he would be the prince of peace, that he would be a ruler of shalom. And at Christmas time, it's critical for us to, to stop and think about this. Let me, let me take you on a little uh, journey in, in some biblical study. In Matthew chapter 1, 
there's a prophecy that's referred to by Matthew. Now, you know the story about how the angel comes and visits Joseph and tells Joseph that Mary is going to be the mother of the Messiah, that she has conceived a child by means of the Holy Spirit. And Joseph is, is, is kind of dumbfounded by this. And one of the things that Matthew does, and he does this all throughout the Gospel of Matthew in the New Testament, is he takes time to make sure that his readers understand that what he's writing about that is happening in the New Testament is directly related to prophecies in the Old Testament. So in Matthew chapter 1, verse 22, watch what Matthew says. He says, all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. And so what Matthew does is he says, look, this story you're hearing about Jesus actually is directly related to a prophecy in the Old Testament. That prophecy is in the book of Isaiah. We see it in Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14. Isaiah writes, Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will call him Emmanuel, which Matthew has already told us. Emmanuel means God is with us. He is there. He is beside us. He is with us. So, so, so track with me a minute. This is important for us to see. In Matthew, he says that this child is the same child that Isaiah writes about who will be the one who is God with us. He will be the Messiah. That's in Isaiah chapter 7. In Isaiah chapter 9, Isaiah writes about this child again. This child who we know now by means of prophecy is Jesus. And what he gives to us is a description of who Jesus will be. It's kind of a job description of what his role is as he comes. Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. And this is where we'll spend the rest of our time here this morning. Isaiah 9, 6. Isaiah writes, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And so what we find here are these designations, these names for who Jesus is, who he will be, and what he comes to be. Now, if he is God with us, then he is a representation of God to us. And he is going to come with these different names, these different titles that we see in Isaiah chapter 9. What's interesting about these titles, there's four of them there, right? Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. The first three, Counselor, God, Father, build up to this idea of him being Prince of Peace. It's because of what he is in the first three that we see him as the fourth. There's kind of this climax that comes in the way that Isaiah tells this to us. So what we're going to do this morning is we're going to take each one of these names and just very briefly talk about them. Talk about how they apply to our lives and the way that we can live knowing Jesus as God with us based on this job description, for, for lack of a better term, that Isaiah gives to us. But before we jump into the scripture, would you, would you pray with me? And let's consider these descriptions that, that God has given to us. Would you bow your heads with me? Let's pray. Father, we, we come to you today. And Lord, we thank you for your word. God, we thank you for how it speaks to us. And that Jesus, you are Emmanuel, who is God with us. So wonderful counselor, we ask that you would give to us your wisdom and your guidance and your insight today. Mighty God, would you give us your strength and your power. Everlasting Father, by your presence, would you lead us? correct us, and and protect us as we look to you. 
And Jesus, by, by your word, by your Holy Spirit, we ask you to be the Prince of Peace in this place, in our minds, in our lives today. Emmanuel, would you be with us as we look at your word in Jesus' name? Amen. Four designations that Isaiah gives to this one who is to come, who we know is Jesus. The first is this. Number one, he is the wonderful counselor. He is the wonderful counselor. What's, what's a counselor? That word can be kind of loaded a little bit in our culture, so let's talk about it. A counselor is someone who will give you help in a time when you need direction. He will help you to find a plan. He is someone who may be a trusted friend. He is a source of wisdom and insight. She might be a place where you go to find guidance or healing. A counselor is someone who will help you to have wisdom and understanding that you might not have in any other way. So, so what does that look like? Well, in our, in our culture, maybe if you need a counselor, and this is how we think of it so many times, it's someone that you might go to who's a professional. They may be in a certain sense, by their training, their education, they're a professional who can help to give you guidance and wisdom and counsel as you move forward. Oftentimes, when kids go to summer camp, we refer to their leader as a counselor, someone who's going to guide them. It may be a trusted friend, someone that you look to to give you insight. I'm really thankful that when I need counsel, I've got friends here at church that I can, that I can lean on, especially our, our church board is, is a place where I go when I need wisdom and insight when I need counsel. For most of us, though, when we really need to know wisdom, when we really need to know the answer for something, we go to the source of all information. We Google it, right? We go to Google. Because we know that everything we read on the Internet is accurate and true. Amen? Right? Isn't that the way, that's the way it works? That's where we often go. We try to find how am I going to get the wisdom and insight that I need. Several years ago, um, our, our family had the privilege of, of spending a couple of weeks in California. And it was this, I'd never been there before. It was this really cool experience. And one of the things that we did was, for a few days, we just traveled. We didn't really know exactly what we would find. We were just out driving and checking things out as we went. And we had made hotel reservations along the way. So we would know kind of where to stop and where to stay. Well, we had this hotel booked. It was late at night. It was dark. We didn't, you know, we'd never been to this place before. And what we didn't realize was that this hotel even though we booked it online, was in a new retail area that had just recently developed. So on the GPS, it didn't show up. Have you ever, have you ever had that experience? You're looking for something on a GPS and you, you can't find it because it's just not there. <clears throat> so we don't have a clue where we're going. And we're driving around, we're looking for something, and it's dark and it's late and we want to we find a place to stay and we're trying to find this place. I've got the reservations. I'm not going to give up on these revelations. Revelation, I wanted a revelation whatever. And in the process, I think I'm feeling the burden because I'm about to admit something. I did what men should never do. I pulled into a gas station. All right. And I, and I went in and I asked the lady behind the counter, I'm looking for this hotel. It's supposed to be near this new store. Do you know where it is? Not only was she not familiar with this hotel, she was not very familiar with the English language. Okay. So She's trying to communicate with me. I'm trying to communicate with her. We're having a real struggle here. I'm just kind of frustrated. We get back in the car. We're trying to figure it out. I don't know where I'm going. I need direction. I need guidance. I need to figure out where I'm going. Here's, here's this interesting thing. As we're driving in the dark, new place, I think I figured it out. We're going to get on the highway. Now, I don't know if you know this, but when you get on a highway, they have one ramp you go to get on, and they have one you go to get off. Did you know that? And if you go down the one... 
that's meant to get off instead of get on when you're trying to get on and you go down the one where you get off, it really excites your family. It is <laughs> terrifying. And, and in this moment, I've got confusion. I've got desperation. I need somebody who can give me wisdom and guidance. What I need is a counselor. Does that make sense? We live our lives in a place like that for many of us. I need somebody who's going to clearly tell me how am I going to get there? What do I need? How am I going to get where I'm going? Because if we're honest, we all need that. Now, when you see this description of Jesus in Isaiah chapter 9, he's not just a counselor. He's not just a guy with good ideas. He's not just someone who has some knowledge. He is a wonderful counselor. As you read through the Old Testament, that word wonderful is very significant. Because usually when something is described as wonderful or as a wonder, it has to do not just with something really cool. It has to do with something directly from God. It is divine. So the wisdom that Jesus gives is not just common sense. It's divine wisdom. It's direct from God. He is not just a counselor or a good counselor or a pretty great counselor. Counselor. He's a wonderful counselor. To put it in terms you'll understand, he's super Google, right? He's got all the wisdom that you might need. Jesus is the source of the wisdom of God. So if you need God's wisdom, you do it because Jesus has brought it to us, because he is Emmanuel, which means that God is with us. So in him, we have the wisdom of God. He brings that to us. Now, one of the things that, that I want to do today is, is kind of introduce maybe to some of you a couple of theological terms. So many of you, you already know these, these words. They're kind of these $2 theological words. And if you use them at a Christmas party in the next couple of weeks, people are going to be really impressed, right? But let me give you a few of these because as we look at these descriptions of who God is, his attributes help us to understand how it is that Jesus is Prince of Peace in our lives and how we can find that shalom. So one of the things that God is, is that God is omniscient. That means he is all-knowing. He is all wisdom. There is nothing that is outside of the scope of his knowledge. So God is omniscient. And Jesus is for us the source of that knowledge. Jesus is the source of the wisdom of God. He brings that to us. Which means two things. One of those things is that God gives wisdom freely. He's not like some lady behind the cash register at the convenience store. Who not only isn't sure, but is kind of laughing as you walk out the door because she knows you're confused. God's not messing with you. He gives his wisdom freely. Now, he doesn't always give it as timely as we think he should, right? <laughs> and he doesn't always give the wisdom that we think is best. But he gives it, and if we'll receive it, it's there for us. I want to I look a few times this morning as we go through God's word back at a New Testament passage. Ephesians chapter 1 where Paul prays a prayer for the church that he loves. Listen to what he says and what God can do for you through the person of Jesus Christ. He says, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, listen to this, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. Isn't that what we're looking for? Wisdom, revelation. God, will you help me? Will you give me the knowledge that I need? He has all that knowledge. He is a wonderful counselor who, if we seek him, will give it to us freely. So not only will he give it freely, but here's a second thing to consider. We would be foolish not to take it. 
If he's going to offer it, we'd be foolish not to take it. If somebody's already been to that hotel and they can point out to me how I'm going to drive there and I ignore them, there's no wisdom in that, is there? If God already has the answer, if he's got it figured out, if he knows the game plan, we would be foolish not to take it. But for many of us, we search in vain for wisdom and knowledge in places where... Now look, I'm not saying that education is not right. And I'm not saying that that wisdom isn't something we should seek. I mean, the truth is... We should study. We should learn. God has given wisdom in so many ways. It's important for us to know and learn and be ready. But the truth is, at some point, this, his word needs to be the foundation of who we are, right? That's where, that's where we rest is on that. That's where knowledge comes as his spirit leads us. We would be foolish not to take the wisdom that he brings. So this morning, let me encourage you with this, that the all-knowing God is with us. It's the beauty of Christmas. Jesus came to be Emmanuel, God with us, and he gives us the wisdom that we need. And some of you, especially in this Christmas season, as much joy and fun as it is, you're frustrated. And there is an inner frustration that you're just wrestling with in this season. In part because maybe you're pushing against the wisdom and the knowledge of God. You want things your way or you're not considering God's best things and there's a frustration that's in there and he would say to you, he would beg you today to see and recognize him as the source of what is right and of wisdom and of knowledge and of guidance. Now, I'll just be honest. I don't don't have this happen a lot. But I just felt very clearly as I was praying last night for this message that there may be someone who, whether you're in this room, you're in another room here in the building, you're watching online television, I don't know where. But you have this um, desire or pressure to hurt someone. Your frustration has put you in a place where you're maybe even planning to hurt yourself or somebody else. And I would say to you that God by his spirit is speaking to you to not give in to a word that is not wisdom, to a thought that is not wise, to something that is not true, that God has hope for you, that God has life for you, that God has peace for you, that he can be the prince of peace. And that frustration, whatever that might be, if you will instead rely on and lean into the wisdom of God, that will make all the difference in the world. Wouldn't you agree? Because this is what God's word says. It tells us that he has come to be a wonderful counselor. Number two, what does Isaiah chapter 9 say? He is the mighty God. Number two, he is the mighty God. That has this incredible idea that he comes with strength. Strength that we need. Strength that only he can bring. And for Israel, in the time when Isaiah wrote this prophecy in the Old Testament, they were literally facing the the lowest point of their history. Isaiah's writings revolve around their exile and and the the destruction that came to much of Jerusalem and Israel. And in the midst of that, Isaiah is reminding them that their strength comes from God. And for many of us, what we truly need in our lives today are his strength. Because there's a crush of life that's coming on us that we're afraid might wipe us out. I don't know if you've seen this in the news. There's, There's a little town on the big island in Hawaii. It's about 900 people and it's right near a volcano. And what's happening, like right now, is that there's a lava flow that's coming out of that volcano that right now... Has anybody seen this in the news? It's about a mile away 
from like the, the, the hub of this little town where they have this shopping center. There's the, the grocery store is there, and there's a gas station there. And I don't know if you know this, but lava and gasoline are not a good combination. So if you think to, I'd pray for folks in this little town because they're facing something that is moving on them. It's crushing them, and you, you can't stop it. And some of you feel that. You feel that crush. You feel when that fight song plays in your head. You feel that there's this moment. You feel that there's this pressure that you go, how am I going to respond? What am I going to do? What do I do in that instance, right? That thing could wipe you out. Some of you feel it specifically at Christmas. Because there's the burden of what people expect you to be, what people expect you to do. And you say, I'm just not strong enough. Isaiah's writing to people who worshipped false gods. They were looking to other things instead of the one real God. And he said, your lowercase g God cannot compare to the mighty God. The one and only God. He's not just some place to find your strength. He's the place to find your strength. He's the one that you can lean on. You ever went to buy something in the store and you walk up and you see the regular one there. You've got a cleaner or you've got a, a, a pain um, medication or something. And it says, here's the regular. And next to it, it says extra strength. And you say to yourself, I, I could use a little extra strength. 50 cents more for extra strength, sign, sign me up. I will take it. Do you want God or do you want mighty God? He's not just extra strength, he's infinite strength. Now watch this, Jesus came. Jesus is the source of the strength of God. He is God with us. He is described by Isaiah as the mighty God. He is the one who brings strength like no one else. And he is all-powerful. Here's another big word that you can use. God is omnipotent. He is all-powerful. Omnipotent. All-powerful. That's who he is. And his power works in us. So what does that mean? It means that I can rely on Christ's strength to be at work in me. If you're facing the crush of this holiday season and you're afraid that the flow is going to wipe you out, Realize this, I can rely on Christ's strength to be at work in me. You know why his strength isn't at work in us sometimes? Because we don't ask or expect it to be. Go back to the prayer that we looked at in Ephesians chapter 1. Here's what Paul says. He says, I pray also that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. Watch this. And his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is like the working of his mighty strength, which he exerted in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly realms. Did you see what Paul says there? God's power can be at work inside of us if we'll look to him to, if we'll trust him to. Do you remember what Paul said in Philippians 4.13? He said, I can do everything through him who gives me strength. His power is available. Jesus is the source of God's strength The all-powerful God is with us. That's the good news of Christmas. That the all-powerful God is with us. You may be tired. And for some of you, you you have a good reason to be tired. And even in the midst of your physical weariness, God can bring you strength. 
Some of you are busy. As we get to the holidays and the year end, I know for many of you, this may actually be one of the busiest times of your year. You know what scripture says? That if you'll just, if you'll just push the pause button, and I don't, I don't know what that looks like for you. It might just be five minutes before you jump into what's next. And you go to Isaiah 40, where it says, those who wait on the Lord will renew their strength. And you just acknowledge, God, you know what I need from you? I need Christ's strength. Omnipotent power to be at work in me. Some of you, you're up against some really, really good things. You're just not so sure how you're going to handle it. Let his strength work through you. For many of us, maybe Christmas is a season where, where you get the poking and the prodding and it can tend to be a time when you respond in ways that you wish you didn't. Before you get to that place, ask God to allow his strength to be at work in you because he is the mighty God. He's a wonderful counselor. He's a mighty God. Number three, he's the everlasting father. Number three, he is the everlasting father. The role of a father is, is an interesting one because for, for many of us, and I think across every culture, in some way, it communicates. What is it that a father does? Well, let's, let's talk about it for a minute. One of the things that's expected in your role as dad is that you will lead. A father leads. He gives direction to his family. He he charts the way for where the home will go. In the biblical model and in a practical way, what is the role of the father? Well, the father leads his family. He gives guidance. He gives direction. A father also disciplines. And that's an interesting um, role because a father with love and with purpose, not with that abuse and anger, but out of love and purpose, a father is to discipline because that discipline brings correction and with that correction brings grace and improvement. So discipline is an important role of a father. And a father protects. And when we talk about protection, we talk about provision. That a father is going to provide for his family and also care. That a father is going to make sure that his family is safe and that is cared for. So you can see very clearly why the presence of a father is incredibly important in the life of a family. Because in God's design... In the way that God would have for things to go, if men we are to live according to the, the role that he has in store for us, we will be someone who leads, disciplines, and protects in the, in the context of our home. My dad was an extraordinary guy. And uh, I'm so thankful for a father who, who modeled these things for me. And I always knew that not only did my dad care, but that he would be there. This was, this was kind of a, an example of this. I remember when I was in, in, in grade school or high school, whatever, I would come home sometimes and just say, I don't, I don't think they like me. I don't think that teacher likes me, because that's how it works, right? Anytime you get a bad grade, it's because the teacher doesn't like you, right? And I'd come home and I'd be like, I don't like the way I'm being treated. I don't think it's right. That teacher doesn't like me. Here was my dad's response. You want me to go down there? I'll go down there. I'll talk to him. You want me to go over there and talk to those people? You know why he did that? Because he always knew I'd go, Dad, don't do that. Don't do that, Dad. I'd be like, Dad, settle down. But when he'd jump out of the chair and say, you want me to go down there? He knew that I would settle down, right? My dad, this was, this was my dad's loving care. I would come home, Dad, it's just not fair. It's not right the way I'm being treated. Dad, they're not this and that. It's not that. And he'd look at me. He'd go, really? That's really bad. Maybe we should call Oprah. I think she wants you on your, her show. No, Dad, Dad, it's not. And he'd help me to understand it's not that bad. My gift of sarcasm, I think, comes from. So. Now, here's, um, here's the deal. 
for many of us, this, this idea of a father kind of falls apart a little bit. Because what is in many ways epidemic in our society, and I would say in, in some ways at the very root of cultural issues that we face, is the absence of fathers. It happens in homes where dad's there, but he's not really there. Let alone the fact that many in our society are literally fatherless. So this has this traumatic effect on not only how we live and what our values are as a culture, but where do we go into the future. So I hope that this is a challenge for you parents to realize the incredible role of influence you play in the life of your children. Many of you are, are, are moms who are having to wear two hats because of situations that, that were outside of your control or not what you would have determined or what you would have wanted. And dads, many of us maybe are not taking this role as leader, discipliner, and protector the way that God would have for us to. And I would encourage you, I would, I would beseech you. How's that for a King James word? Right? I'd beseech you. Don't forfeit your role because it has incredible power. And for some of us, when we talk about this idea of father, it's a disconnect for us. Because our father didn't lead our family. Our father didn't discipline with love and with purpose. Our father wasn't even there, let alone protect. So how is it that this idea of God's fatherness should be powerful for us? How does it affect us? Listen to what scripture says to us. And I think this is key for us to see and to understand. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 17. Let's go back to that passage we looked at earlier. Paul writes, I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. He leads you. He guides you. He's the one that gives you that direction. Now when we talk about Jesus being the everlasting Father, we're not confusing terms about the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We're talking about an attribute of God that Jesus brings to us. And what Jesus brings is Jesus is the source of the presence of God. God's very presence at work in our lives. That's what Jesus came to bring. He is the source of of the presence of God to us. He is an everlasting father. Not an earthly father who's going to let us down. But an everlasting father whose presence is always going to be there. A father who cares for us. Who leads us. Also a father who disciplines us. Listen to what scripture says about that. Hebrews chapter 12 verse 9. Moreover, we've all had human fathers who disciplined us and we respected them for it. How much more should we submit to the father of spirits and live? They disciplined us for a little while as they thought best. But God disciplines us for our good, in order that we may share in his holiness. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. For many of us, that word discipline is scary. The scripture says that when we are disciplined with love and with purpose, it's a beautiful thing. Because it gets us to the place where we can move forward. And maybe you sense some some conviction or some challenge by God, by the Holy Spirit. It's because there's a father who loves you and wants to put you in the right place. And he cares. He protects. Matthew chapter 10, verse 29. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? Yet not one of them will fall to the ground outside of your father's care. Two basically worthless birds. And yet God knows everything about them. How much more does he know and care for you? He is the everlasting Father. He is always present. God is omnipresent. He is ever present. 
He is always there. Some of you in this Christmas season, it's, it's not all joy and peace. It's lonely. Maybe you're wrestling with the loss. Maybe, maybe that you've experienced even in the last year. And I know that that loss and that pain's real. But in this Christmas season, there is an everlasting Father whose presence can bring peace to you in the midst of this difficult time. He can help us, whether we're dealing with past hurts or walking into a new season. The truth is, the ever-present God is with us. The ever-present God is with us. To which, some of you will say, Oh yeah? Then what about Ferguson? And what about ISIS? And what about North Korea? Because if all wise, all powerful, ever present is with us, why is there no peace? Why is it that we live in a world that's so filled with turmoil and chaos? I don't see a whole lot of shalom when I turn on the cable news network. If that's the case, why is there so much mess if Christmas was supposed to fix it all? Real question, right? In fact, for many, it's the challenge in believing in God. Many people will say, hey, that's nice if you believe all that. But when I look at the headlines, I can't even believe that there is a God, let alone that he cares and he wants to bring peace. Because you say all this, but I don't see it. So now what do you want me to believe? Here's what we know. We know that scripture tells us that Jesus came to bring peace on earth. In fact, we, we see these descriptions in Isaiah 9, 6. Let's look at what Isaiah goes on to write in Isaiah 9, 7. He says that of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. Here's what Isaiah is saying. Someday, this child that we talk about, wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, he is going to come and rule in peace. The thing is, it hasn't happened yet. Do we believe that it will happen one day? Or am I by myself? (laughs) We believe that it's going to happen one day, that Jesus is going to come again. And when he comes again, he is going to rule and bring perfect peace to the world. The headlines will be very different because he will bring peace to all mankind. Here's what we know. The fact of Christ's first coming reminds us of the certainty of his second coming. If he came once which he said he was going to do, he's going to come again because he's told us he will. And we know this, that when he comes again, he's going to make everything right. But until then, we still live in a fallen world. We still exist in a place where there's sin and where there's evil and where there's greed and where there's corruption. And until then, we are face to face with the challenge of living in today. This is what I want you to grasp. God looks at the big picture. We fret when we see today's headlines. He sees all of eternity. And he says, I already took care of the problems. That, that one's coming, he says. I already, I already did that. Today, I'm worried about you. Until he comes again to bring peace to the world, Jesus is the Prince of Peace, able to bring peace to every human heart. Now, now unpack that for just a minute because I want, you to, I want you to read that again. Until he comes again to bring peace to the world, Jesus is the Prince of Peace, able to bring peace to every human heart. See, you and I are super concerned about the headlines. 
We look at world news. We look at challenges in our nation. And all these things are viable things that you and I should give time and interest and concern to. When we see challenges in the world, we should do what's in our power to help. But we shouldn't fret and we certainly shouldn't be discouraged. And we certainly shouldn't give up hope or faith just because it doesn't look the way that we want it to when we think of peace on earth. God's not worried about that. His concern is not the headlines. His concern is you. Read through scripture. Every time that there's major challenges, that there's tragedy, and that there's hardship, and that there's destruction, God's concern is not the headlines. It's whether or not people are right with him. Grasp this. God has always been more concerned about hearts than about headlines. His focus on peace is not world news. It's you. Because if you pick up the headlines... And everything's green lights and rainbows. But if you're not right with God, then there's really no peace, is there? He's far more concerned about your heart than he is about today's headline. I don't know, the best, the best way that maybe I can um, help you to grasp this is, is maybe just a, a little illustration. Let's imagine that you walked in today. We talked about Oprah earlier, right? And uh, let's imagine you walked in today and kind of in Oprah style, I said... Everybody that's here today gets a free trip to Hawaii. You are the most ungrateful. (laughs) Pastor Bill is footing the bill for you to go to Hawaii. Yes, thank you. Amen. Now he's going to want to raise. So here's the deal. We're all going to Hawaii. It's wonderful. We're promising you this. Now, just for the record, if you're watching this, this is just an illustration, right? We're not really doing this. If you reach under your seat, there's a key to a Pontiac. But we're not really really doing this, okay? So, but let's imagine. You walk out today, we're going to hand you plane tickets. We're going to give you an obnoxious Hawaiian shirt. You are going to be going to Hawaii. We're going in February. Isn't that a great time to go in Toledo? In February, all of us, we booked a jet. We're going to Hawaii. It's going to be wonderful. Are we there yet? No, we got to wait a while. It's going to be a couple of months. But we're going to Hawaii. It's going to be wonderful. Is it going to snow between now and then? Yes. Are the skies going to be gray? Yes. Are you going to be miserable? Maybe. Don't claim that. But I mean, right? This is all going to happen. Are we going to Hawaii? Absolutely. But we're not there yet. Until then, you might go tanning. Um, You might take scuba lessons. You're going to do stuff to prepare. You're going to get ready. Are you there yet? Nah, you're not there yet. Are we going to go? Absolutely. I got the ticket in my hand. But we're not there yet. God said, look, I've already got paradise ready for you. Are we going to go there? Absolutely. Is he going to bring peace to all the earth? He's already, you, you got your ticket right here in his word. But are you there yet? No. Are you going to go there? Absolutely. You there yet? No. He's promised us we will. But until then, just because we don't see paradise doesn't mean paradise isn't going to exist. And what he says is, until then, he's far more concerned about your heart than he is your headline. The peace that is more miraculous and more powerful than open up the newspaper and not reading about any conflict is when he takes your heart and he takes away all conflict, when he makes it whole, when he makes it new, when he makes it complete, when he gives you shalom. Jesus came, number four, to be the prince of peace. You think about this. An all-wise, all-powerful, ever-present God showed up in Emmanuel, who's God with us, What more do you need? That's all you need. 
And in that, you find completeness and wholeness. He's the ruler of shalom. He is the prince of peace. Everything you need for peace is found in the person of Jesus Christ. Everything you need for peace. He'll give it. He'll provide it. He'll help you. He's there beside you. Everything you need for peace is found in the person of Jesus Christ. I don't know if you need to write this down. I just want you to grasp this. The God who is all-wise, all-powerful, and ever-present came to be with us in the person of Jesus you get this? That's why he's the Prince of Peace. Because the God who's all-wise, he's all-powerful, and he's ever-present, came to be with us in the person of Jesus Christ. So when you're strolling through your living room tomorrow and you look over at that nativity set, would you give a little wink to the guy in the manger? You know why? He's not just a baby for Christmas. He's a God for everything. He's not just a counselor. He's a wonderful counselor. He's not just a God. He's the mighty God. He's not just an earthly fallible father he's an everlasting father that's why he can be the one who makes you complete and whole he can be the ruler of shalom isn't that a cool title prince of peace here's what's what's interesting about this word peace if you read through the book of isaiah the word prince is there a lot and when you see the word prince in isaiah it usually has to do with someone evil (laughs) it usually has to do with a ruler who's coming against the people of israel Someone who's leading a charge against them. So the word prince has to do with someone who is a ruler, someone who is a leader, someone who will take charge, and someone who has, because of their royalty, something that you inherently do not have. But Jesus isn't an evil ruler. Do you know what kind of a prince he is? He is the prince of... He's the one who wants to bring you shalom. But here's the problem. He cannot bring you that peace unless you make him the prince. If you're not going to make him the ruler of your life, If you're with white knuckles hanging on to areas of your life because you don't want to accept his wisdom. If you're holding on so tight because you don't think you need his power. If you've been hurt too many times to recognize that his presence as an everlasting father is always with you, then you'll never know his peace. But if you will say, God, I recognize you as the ruler in my life. Jesus, I see that you are the one who brings God to us. Would you be the leader of Shalom? Would you be the prince of peace in my life? When you do that, then it makes all the difference. Peace is found when you make Jesus the Lord of your life. And maybe you haven't done that yet. Maybe you're here today and it's Sunday before Christmas and you happen to be in town or grandma said you had to come today or I don't know. Maybe at one point God was an important factor in your life, but anymore it's just just a thing. I go to church every so often or think about God when I'm in trouble. But I really don't have peace. It's because peace is only found when you make Jesus the the Lord, the ruler, the, the prince of your life. There is no peace if he's not the prince. And today, it's more than about just a little baby in a manger. It's about a savior who died on a cross and then was victorious when he resurrected from the dead and defeated death. And if you will allow him to bring forgiveness to your heart, if you will allow him to be the ruler of your life, if you will say, God, I give you all that I have, I will follow you. I am 
giving you control of my life. If you will make him the prince of peace, that's the only place that wholeness, completeness, where shalom, where, where peace can be found. As, 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 uh, as I prepared for this, there was just one, one story that came to mind. And, and I know I've told this before, so if you've heard this story before, you're welcome to take a nap for just a couple of seconds um, if you want to. Today would have been my dad's birthday. He passed away in uh, 1996, and I told you earlier, extraordinary guy. And um, he um, had, a, had a two-year battle with cancer. And um, during that process, he had surgeries, he had chemo, he had radiation. There was a tumor that was right here on his neck. And um, he had to have it removed. And in the process, they took part of his jaw, his teeth, and part of his tongue. It was um, extremely traumatic in that two-year period of time. And um, Christmas of 1995, right around that time, our, our firstborn Clayton was born. Ron and I were living in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. And uh, it was freezing cold. First of the year, my parents came out to visit us. And it was my dad's first chance to see Clayton. It was, it was just a really special trip. He passed away April following that. This was one of the last times that I was with my dad. And um, we, were, we were together, and we were out doing some some running errands and stuff and we had to go to the grocery store and Clayton like a, a newborn was in the back just kind of screaming and you know it's not much has changed but he's in the back and he's kind of um, you know doing his thing and we, we we were going to the grocery store so Ron and my mom got out of the car and they went into the grocery store when my dad and I were doing NASCAR laps in the parking lot because that was the only thing that would keep Clayton quiet right you know we should try that again Rhonda I wonder if that's um, I might be on to something and we're, um, we're driving around and we're just making small talk. And here's, here's where it was at. The doctors had just recently told my dad, that's it. There's nothing more we can do. He's done all the radiation. There's no chemo. There's just nothing left. It's just the tumor. And then they told him all the gruesome ways that he could possibly die. And so that's the reality of this moment between me and my dad. And so I just said, Dad, are you scared? I didn't know what else to do say as we talked about it he, he looks at me with this expression of just dumbfoundedness he goes I'm not scared I've got Jesus so here's what my dad had done he had a wonderful counselor who was his mighty God and his everlasting father and even in the midst of what should have been the most frightening moment of his life he knew the prince of peace he said, I've got Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us. Isn't that what Christmas is all about? That the all-wise, all-powerful, ever-present God came in the form of a baby so that you could know peace that's beyond our comprehension. So here's what we're going to do today. I, I want to close with a word of prayer and we're going to pray specifically using these names for who Jesus is. Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And I, and I firmly believe this, that oftentimes a spiritual response on our part requires a physical action. And so I'm going to lead us in this prayer. And if you're here today and you need God's peace in your life, then I'm going to ask you to respond. For some of you, maybe what you truly need is you need a relationship with God. You need him to be Emmanuel, God with you. And today, you need to begin a relationship with him. You need to say, God, I need you to forgive my sins. Jesus, I receive you as my Lord and Savior. Then as we pray this, I'd invite you to stand. 
But we're also going to go through these names. And maybe what you need from him today is for him to be your counselor. And so when I pray using the name Wonderful Counselor for God, I'm going to ask you to stand right where you are. And then stay standing. If that's you, that physical response may be a, a powerful part of the, phys, the spiritual reality of what God wants to do in your life. So if you need his guidance, when I talk about a wonderful counselor, I'm going to invite you to stand. When I talk about a mighty God, would you stand if he needs strength? And then stay standing. If you, if you need his presence, when I talk about an everlasting father, would you stand? And when we mention him as the Prince of Peace, if what you need is his overwhelming peace in your life, would you stand? And don't just listen to me pray, but would you take your prayer to him? So whether you're here in this sanctuary, or you're watching online, or by television, or one of the other rooms, I, I, I would encourage you, just stand and respond. And let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come to you today. We thank you that you are Emmanuel, God with us. And Jesus, we come to you today as our wonderful counselor. And Lord, in this moment, some of us are standing because what we need is your guidance. Lord, in this moment, some of us respond because what we need is your direction. Wonderful counselor, we we don't want to be confused or frustrated. Instead, we, we submit to your leadership because we need you to guide us. And mighty God, Some of us are standing because we need your strength today. Or we're tired, or we're busy, we're frustrated, we're burned out, we're empty. And in the midst of this season, the crush of it, mighty God, what we need is your strength. And Jesus, we know that you are the source of God's omnipotent power in our lives. An everlasting Father, some of us are standing because we need your presence. We need you to lead us. We need to be open to your correction. We need your provision and your care as you protect us. And so everlasting Father, would you, would you be present in our lives this Christmas? Prince of Peace, some of us are standing because that's what we need. We need shalom. We need completeness. We ask you for wholeness. God, that we would sense your power at work in our lives in this Christmas season. And because we want your peace, today we make you ruler of our lives. Prince of Peace, would you, this Christmas, make it a season of shalom in our lives? As we look to you, wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Now as we go from here, Lord, we ask that you would go with us. Lord, would you give us your special favor and your wonderful shalom, your peace. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you. Thanks for being here today. Hope you'll join us Tuesday or Wednesday, 5 or 7 o'clock. Have a great week, a Merry Christmas. We'll see you next Sunday.